The <coughs> theme <coughs> for the afternoon talk is the power of uh, mindfulness and its uh, limits. A few decades uh, ago, when I was on the road to the uh, east, actually called the, the, the Summer of Love, so this is 1967, and then after a few years, three years actually, uh, taking ordination as a Buddhist monk, and the outcome of that being introduced to mindfulness and meditation, and the outcome of that, really appreciating the value and the importance and uh, the power of mindfulness and meditation. The outcome of that, um, I believe some uh, insights and understanding uh, emerged, and then the privilege and the opportunity, the outcome of that, to uh, share and offer Dharma teachings uh, to others. And sometimes, when we look at our life in a simple way, we can reflect back from the past to the present, and we can see how one thing leads on to the, to the other. And it's important to have this opportunity to apply the mindfulness to what was, and how it leads and contributes <coughs> to what is. It's especially important in areas of our uh, uh, life which have some significance for us. And what I mean by that, that we find ourselves in a situation today, contemporary, we see there are changes which have brought us to where we are, here and now, and some of the changes which has brought us, we, are benefit, we benefit from. We are appreciative of making the decision. We need to be as clear as possible of recognizing sometimes the motivation and intention to make change. It's a very important quality of the human being. <coughs> to recognize... The motivation and the intention to make a change. And mindfulness is contributes to revealing this. One woman was going through what she described, this is just a few weeks ago now, what she described as a crisis, a health crisis, which was sparking humanly enough, a lot of fear, despair and anxiety about the future. The health crisis has repeated itself. So it wasn't the first time. And I asked her a little bit about the past equivalent parallel of this health crisis. And she said to said to me, I've had the same before and I've got through it. I've got through the crisis. I've got out the other side of the crisis. And I said to her, if you've been able to do it before and you have done it before and you remember you can do it before, you can do it again. You've got the experience of going through something uh, painful, difficult, full of insecurity and uncertainty. If you've done it once before, you've done it twice before, three times before, she said. I said, you can do it now. You've got to remember and draw on the strength of your past in such a situation to give you the authority to remember I can move through this very difficult period as well because I know I've done it before. Not always available, of course. Not always possible. But sometimes we can bring the power of the mindfulness to the past, see what we know and have learned and experienced from it, to remind ourselves because we forget. 
that as human beings we have this potential. Now, it's in there are some situations, and already from meetings with you, some of you one to ones uh, here, and probably for others uh, as as well. This key of the power of mindfulness, and in this case, relating it to uh, motivation, such a key theme in these kind of uh, uh, teachings. And that theme within the, within the teachings is to, in small ways, to develop and give strength, and therefore give power, to motivation. It's key if we don't, we will substitute the power of motivation, which is the act, and we'll substitute it with circular thinking. It's the poor person's motivation. So we can find ourselves, as some of you report, sitting on the meditation cushion, you're hearing with ad nauseum, Christopher speak about being here and now, or being present, or being mindful, or whatever. They say, oh yes, that's a good idea. But the actuality is, the circular thinking is taking the priority. The circular thinking can have lots of nice, sweet, useless ideas in it. Like, I should be meditating. I don't need to keep thinking about him, or about her or about this, or about that. The thought, I needn't be thinking about this. There's no point in thinking about this. It's not getting me anywhere. This thought is in the sequence of the thoughts. It's got no power to it. It's just a thought because it's been heard, in this case, from myself, or from some books that you read, or bit of both and it just moves into it motivation is deeper than the thought the signal of motivation is that it triggers the action and this is going to get a little bit of exter- uh, um, extermination or rebellion for a moment a key word in it is disruption do you understand the word everybody know the word disruption to break, to make a break. Dharma teachings, they cover all aspects of the human existence, and one thing they cover for sure is the importance of the necessary break with the past to disrupt it. And there are times when we look at the past particularly problematic past, unhappy past, confused past, addictive past, habitual past. We've looked at it, we've thought about it, but it didn't make any difference because we just thought about it. And then we can come to a point where it is a disruption. It comes not so much out of a choice that we might tell ourselves that and our friends that it, it comes because the mindfulness has enough power to it to see actually I've got no choice it's not a matter of choice it's a matter of no choice it cannot go on like this there has to be a break People might be upset and confused and wonder why one has done this, that or the other. There has to be the break. It is the disruption of the old. And that (coughs) break with the unsatisfactory, unhealthy, habitual, boring, monotonous, whatever you want to call it, agitated old, that break with it tends to require either a cultivated, developed motivation or possibly 
a trust in the spontaneous motivation. But one has to be careful with that because you could be nearly dead before it comes. So, the cultivated motivation for a change is the break from the past. If you want to put it in Buddhist language, is the ending of the old karma. Contemporary language is a disruption and a break with the old. And that will leave in the break with the old a certain uncertainty and unknown. It'd be a miracle if you can have a break with the old and then suddenly go into the new and it's all roses for the rest of your life (laughs) and you forget the thorns. So quite often the break with the old is the transition into something unknown or maybe a little uh, which is known, which is known. Right, five minutes of Extinction Rebellion. (laughs) Don't go away and if you're not interested I saw some earplugs around, you can stick your earplugs in. (laughs) All right. So the buzzword in with uh, XR, Extinction Rebellion, is disruption. It's, 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 it's the word. There's a recognition there that the, for those of us who regard <coughs> uh, protest as a human responsibility and duty, and also at the personal level as a form of healing, that in the engagement in the a, in protest, many ways to do it, but in this case, for those of us who engage in this kind of areas, protesters tended to be, you go to the demo in the morning, it finishes up in the afternoon, and you all go home, and one feels one's done one's democratic duty. There, and that movement has been going on for years, in fact it's revolutionary and radical, it's brought down many uh, governments and certainly my intention is to bring down more than the government quite more keen to end capitalism and consumerism before I die there's not much time left so so get a bit of pressure so there's some disruption so the beloved founders only started a year ago in the protest they're using this word disruption and saying, in this case, with the climate emergency, we have to stay on the streets. We're not going to go home at night. We're going to stay on the streets there. And when various people, including many of my good Dharma friends, we all know the amount of publicity that you get, which is what the whole purpose of it is, is often determined either by the numbers who turn up or by the number of arrests. That's the four. So when, some months ago, they occupied the bridges in London, uh, that doesn't take so many people to occupy a bridge, and the demonstrators of exile were lying there on the bridge, only ambulances were allowed to cross the bridge, and they were begging the police to arrest them. Please, with their hands together, like good Buddhists, Please arrest us. We want 500 of us to be arrested because that would make a front page story. So please. And the police said, look, we really want to arrest you, we re- etc. <laughs> but the government have engaged in so many cuts, financial cuts. We haven't got the police officers to do it and we haven't got the vehicles to put you in either. So you have to stay here. And then, and in the end, only 89 were arrested. It was a very disappointing day for the demonstrators. <laughs> so then more ideas began to, to come. And uh, the using of all the creative forms uh, there, and that currently, as we sit here now, 60 countries around the world are, are, in, are engaged in protesting. We've been having significant ones. I know in the rain in Berlin, I've been hearing it in other, other cities uh, as well. And the outcome of that, fresh initiatives uh, are taking place. They went to London City Airport. 
uh, uh, with all sorts of eccentric ideas, and one of them, a former Paralympic, bless him, climbed on top of an aeroplane and lay flat on top of the aeroplane so the aeroplane couldn't take off because he's lying on top of it, etc. One person bought a ticket for the plane, for the flight, got in the plane, and then speaking to these bourgeois middle-class men and women in their suits going off from London City Airport to some business conference or whatever, started speaking to them about this, about what flying is doing and why can't they just use Zoom and other media uh, uh, methods there. Outside at Parliament, because the police didn't want people to um, be anywhere near Parliament, they can't be near Parliament, I mean, mustn't let citizens get near to democracy, my goodness me, (laughs) never. So what they did was they took the demonstrators 1,000 plant pots and left them outside Parliament to disrupt the means to get to Parliament. Uh, there. They had Australians dressed up as kangaroos bouncing up and down the, 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 uh, the streets. Uh, the mothers just stopped. Lots and lots of mothers with their baby kids and started breastfeeding their baby kids so the police couldn't come and arrest them, etc. Uh, uh, Two of my friends got, I don't know how they did it, they got hold of a fire engine. Now, it's not easy to get hold of a fire engine. They didn't steal it, they rented it, they got hold of it. They drove it down to the Treasury, where the finance minister uh, there. They got the hose pipe out. They poured into the hose pipe red paint. One of these two friends, one of them is 86 years of age, mind you, even not a spring chicken, and they put it there and they turned on the tap and they sprayed the building in, in this red, watery paint there. Outside, outside the Defence Ministry, uh, there various uh, people were going along and just walking up, looking rather official on the stop steps of the defence ministry and then suddenly, oh, I need to lie down and just lay down and just waited for the police to come. <laughs> One of my friends is a Dharma and I, he's a Dharma teacher uh, uh, there, put his hands to one of the government's walls and they glue their hands to the walls. Not easy and it's painful. <laughs> Uh, there and on the on the on the ground, so they look like they've been crucified. <laughs> there and on the ground, and then I was watching the police, men and women, because police in Britain, some of them, not all of them, kind of, kind of nice. Some of them, not all of them, uh, there. And they got a little little tube. I noticed, and they're squeezing this tube to see if they can get each finger off. Uh, there and, and saying to the guy or the woman underneath it. Is it hurting you? Are you okay? <laughs> and then eventually getting their hands off through using this, whatever they use to get off, and then taking them off to the jail. 1,300 people arrested. Demonstrators are very, very happy. Friends of my street were, were arrested. I said to them, what's it like being an arrestable? This is a new English word. What's it like being an arrestable? They said, well, they take you down to the police station, all, every single police cell in London was full of the arrestables. Every single one had gone. They were taking people to Brighton. It's 70 kilometres away. So they're taking a free ride to Brighton. They, they give you your own cell. My friend, he's a meditator. He said, couldn't be better, could it? <laughs> got a cell, got a little toilet in the corner with a lid on it, uh, etc. And every half an hour a police officer would pull a little slatch open and look through into the cell. Are you okay? And in true British style, would you like a cup of tea? (laughs) (laughs) So all all this and much, much else, they were absolutely camping everywhere. I was um, speaking to Tina at lunchtime. They, 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 They... Created, it's as tall as this room, wooden boxes, nailed them together, these wooden boxes. 
then climbed, this is in Trafalgar Square, climbed up to the top of the wooden box uh, there, two of them, man and woman, sat in it, and then chained themselves in it there. And, in the, and now, now the police are, what are they going to do? How are they going to get them out of there? And they can't put it down because they'll crash. And they've got these guys just sitting up there, <laughs> smiling away. A police detective got arrested because he was part of the demonstrators. And he said to the police constable who was arrest, arresting him, you're putting on the handcuffs the wrong way round. It's illegal. <laughs> So all this is going on. That's why I spent three days there, and that's why I got a dry throat. But uh, all credit to the protests and the initiatives and the creative expressions which are which are going on, and with much uh, 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 else uh, uh, around the world, it really is contributing to waking up. Why? Because to use our language here, people became mindful of the crisis that we the development there and using the power of that awareness for the collective to protest together. Because initially well, there was mindfulness, they were mindful of something, and from the mindfulness came the action. And the action came from the mindfulness with the motivation, which essentially says we need to act. We need to do something for the present and future generations. And hopefully this will go on and on and on. We shall see. We shall see. So we see that the initial expression, just ordinary human life, spiritual, religious or uh, otherwise, the, the place of mindfulness is, makes the contribution. And some, just to uh, keep with the flow of this uh, a little bit, it is sometimes said, uh, not my cup of tea, but sometimes said, oh, in the West, some truth in it, but in the West, we have freed up, we have taken, uh, freed up mindfulness from all the religious stuff, the Buddhism. So there's the culture in Asia, primarily the Buddhist countries, Burma, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and uh, Sri Lanka, and uh, north uh, parts of the Far East, Korea, and uh, Japan, and other, China, and other places. Uh, where there's much appreciation for the potency and the value of mindful, meditative lives. And the tradition, in this case the Buddhist traditions, have been very much um, consistent with supporting it. And I have to say, if having a privilege of connection uh, uh, with it, when just recently, I, um, I don't watch much in the way on, on what's on the box, but friends kept telling me, it's a bit of a free advertisement, this, that to watch something called Wild West or Wild Wild West, which was a six one hour part documentary on uh, Osho, who's had the former name of Bhagwan. Sri Rajnish, very popular guru, for those of you who were born after him, in the, in the uh, 1970s and 1980s, and they made a six one hour documentary. And he was in uh, Pune, I, I was a teacher, I had a couple of one to one meetings uh, with him, there were other stories, and then because of the dynamics, Osho then moved to uh, Oregon and set up this large community of people. Some of you may know about it or have been there. And the intention was to create a city of 100,000, I think the number was, of um, uh, sannyasins, that means followers, disciples of uh, Osho, 
uh, uh, huge amount of money was raised and it all went on. And then it all, as we say in English, went pear-shaped. And corruption set in, violence set in, paranoia set in. I used to hear all these stories many times because of 50 years of going to India. And someone said to me, you have to watch this. I said, it's on Netflix. I said, I haven't got Netflix, not interested in Netflix. Got more other things to do. And then my daughter, bless her, gave me Netflix for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Christmas before last. So I sat down and watched this six hours. Uh, over about three weeks, but anyway, watch, it. <laughs> watch this uh, six hours. And somebody said to me, "What do you think of it?" What's the response? And it, uh, besides all that, for just for the moment uh, or, or two, in, in Osho, this huge project lasted for five years, and then it was finished. It got sold off to uh, some, uh, somebody else, uh, etc., and it, or it was finished. And I said, I have a link and a connection with the tradition for all its failings and for all its weaknesses has lasted 2,600 years and not five years. I think I'll stick with the tradition I'm connecting with. And other things went on there. So sometimes we can, can be helpful to look past the present, see, coming back to ourselves for the moment, areas in our life where the application of mindfulness, where we, what we really need to be mindful of. And in freeing up, which I think is some value to it, some of the religious stuff that's going on uh, in Buddhism, to see Here it's very, very minimal. Some nice statues to remind us of good posture. And some candles and uh, uh, a few uh, uh, other things. But it's not part of our world, so to speak. But one has to be careful, this is the point here. It's very easy to say, oh, we've freed up mindfulness from the religious tradition, which, which for me it is, it is fine, though I have much love for the religious tradition there. But do not think it's freed up in the West. Don't think that for a moment. It also, just as it has religion, can be a shadow over, and this one's really mindful about it, but my goodness me, in the West, everything has to be brought under the West. And when it's brought under the West, the current fashion of it being brought under the West is one big one, is neuroscience. So now it's been taken over by neuroscience. And Jack Cornfield, uh, you probably won't mind me saying this, and if he does, well, never mind Jack, um, says, after, I just read it because somebody just sent to me today, after decades of neuroscience, it shows that mindfulness that gives this and that benefit. No, it doesn't. It's human experience which shows it. I don't need some abstract externalized authority, you know, with some chart of the brain. I need human experience to confirm it, not an external authority. I need to to look at and see what in my daily life is beneficial uh, about it. And it would be a great tragedy, which is a second vulnerability with mindfulness, it gets consumed into a psychology. It borders on a misunderstanding It limits it, it defines it. And the third, which is happening in in the West uh, as as well, uh, there, that it's used not in its 
best teachings of the Buddha original. But it's used for the self. It's for the purpose of the self. And when mindfulness is then confined and defined as about me and myself, me being a mindful person, me reducing my <coughs> stress, though that has a, a value, of course it does, though meditation has a value, of course it does, but mindfulness, as is stated time and time again, is both inner and outer. And it's a pity that what we are experiencing in the West, which is the weakness, the way it's being used, and in the East too, of course, but certainly in the West, one could say, in political language, it is the privatization of mindfulness. And that's a tragedy. That's such a, such a deep misunderstanding of what these teachings are about. And it's, we have to be careful, as touched upon you, with consumerism and um, other industries as well, to remember the teachings of <coughs> non-self. It means not just about me and myself, not just about what's good for me, what feels right for me. It's a non-self teaching, it's a non-me, non-I uh, teaching. And therefore the mindfulness goes equally if it's non-self in all directions. And therefore the <coughs> externals of mindfulness is that motivating factor which contributes and helps makes things happen. In the tradition it's called compassion. It's a nice fancy word. And if we just keep narrowing it down to the self and the interests of oneself, it's a very big blind spot. And unfortunately, that blind spot is rather widespread. Rather widespread. Be careful of the language. Neuroscience. Be careful of the language. Psychology. Be careful of the language of of, of uh, self they have a place there is a usefulness but the Dharma teachings are much bigger than the brain much bigger than the mind and much bigger than the self we've got to really expand it out to keep it open keep it adventurous to keep exploring uh, it and though we are here primarily in a, of course we are with, as today, some reminders about the external, because we are creatures of the earth in relationship with each other. Just remember, it is only five days. It's hardly selfish for five days. And therefore, now, <coughs> pardon me, the relationship is just to see the power of mindfulness and to remind ourselves, is it extending itself mindfully to the outer events of life and our contribution to it, as much as to the inner? That's all. And some of my dear, blessed activist friends, I love them to bits, but some of them need to do some more mindfulness practice. <laughs> Some of them need to do a bit more meditation, etc. And when I listen to some of the speakers, teachers who speak, you see, I like to listen to others because one's not having to do it oneself. And then they're talking about the police, etc. And it's a gross generalization. Some police were aggressive. They were angry. They were hostile. And they were really giving certain people a hard time. We could see it. We could witness it. They, 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 they lost it. And, those, and policemen, some of them, I say some of them, 
one suspects, may have a few control issues. Policemen are rather famous for this, those who, etc. Et <coughs> when we stereotype, when we stereotype, we're not seeing very clearly. It is not the police. It is that there are certain persons who are. You have to make it clear every time. It's a form of phobia describing one whole group of people as being like this. It's unacceptable. We need some kindness and care with the languages. mindfulness, mindfulness, to be mindful of it. Sometimes it can be um, some humour also. Even it's a generalisation but it can be with uh, some humour. So to give you an, e an example I, I, I enjoyed it as a parent and as a grandparent. A couple of months ago my grandson my, my grandchildren are um, Anglo-Caribbean, for, for, uh, four of them. They're cool kids. So the oldest is 18 and a half, and the youngest is four and a half. Three different fathers, single mum. You know, we like diversity in our house. <laughs> <laughs> and she set up a mindfulness support service working with uh, domestic violence and uh, various uh, other, other groups. I think people say to her, I ask, how do you manage it? Four kids, flat out, doing all this uh, work, organising and to give uh, support and programmes and courses and meet with the police commissioners and the social services. How, how do you do it? Said, no problem, as long as you're prepared to give up sleep. <laughs> no, so this is it. So, this is the story. My grandson, he's 18 and a half, he's, he's at college, he, he, he wants to be a, a lawyer. Because, as my daughter says, he'll argue that the sky is green to it until you accept his point of view. So he's, 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 that's how he, how he handsome young guy. So he gets off to the college, he rings up his mum. And he said, Oh, Mum, some of you will know your parents. I forgot the sandwiches. It's only five or ten minutes away, five minutes, ten minutes away in the car. Can you bring the sandwiches over? I forgot them. And then my daughter says, uh, You forgot them the other day and you forgot them before. No, I'm not bringing them over. So, and some young Anglo-Caribbean son said, all right, she said, she said to him, you can go to the shop, corner shop, near the college, buy sandwiches there. I'm not, not, you've got to, you're 18, you're a man. You can't keep relying on your mother. So in the evening time, he comes back home in the evening. And this is my daughter's cooked the meal for him. And she says to us, 18 and, 18 and a half year old son, Why don't you do the washing up for a change? I'm always doing it. You do the washing up. So he said to her, he said, that's the trouble with you white people. <laughs> you still want us blacks to be your slaves. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was laughing when he said it, not serious. He was laughing, laughing when he said it. Kind of sharp. <laughs> Especially to his mum. <laughs> so sometimes in the, the generalisations, as I mentioned, sometimes there's a spot of the humour uh, uh, which can be uh, 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 the, the goodwill and good intentions. So just in a reflection summary with you uh, here this afternoon, there's the, the power of mindfulness. It's not a teaching of trying to be mindful in every moment of the day. It's partly because it's not possible.
But there are situations where we really need to bring mindfulness to, to be clear about what is going on, to recognize and appreciate that the first step for change, quite often, is that we are mindful of something and there is a response inside which says something needs to be done. When that response has an action to it, you write that letter to the government or to the business or whatever. You go and speak about it with, uh, with others. You look what other people are, communities are formed around that issue you're concerned uh, about. You communicate with that person who hurt you or abused you or violated you in the past and you want to bring that to some understanding and some closure and you find the steps to be able to do, uh, to do that. So from the mindfulness, it is empowered and its confirmation <coughs> is through the motivation and the action. Sometimes the mindfulness is through the non-doing. So sometimes the, there's the mindfulness and we know there's enough mindfulness, do you quote the Buddha, to the extent necessary in which we know let, let not these words come out of my mouth. Let not me write this which I want to write. Let me not do this which I want to do. Because one knows it will cause harm and suffering. So sometimes mindfulness and its power is it brings about an action. There is mindfulness with its power, which the outcome is non-action. Both can show a great deal of care and compassion. And we need to be extraordinarily clear in our life about mindfulness for action and mindfulness for, for non-action. And that applies in communications, that applies in, in consumer goods. Uh, I just read, got me thinking, I just uh, read a, a week or two ago, I'm going to have to look in my wardrobe at home. Apart from the uh, kind of underclothes, the vests and the pants and the socks and so forth, one of the uh, activists, some of them are recommending we don't need more than 30 items of clothing. I'm going to have to look in the wardrobe uh, there. And if we do purchase a new item uh, of clothing, we give one away. And to the charity shop to whoever it might be. And like with my daughter, as a small example, she was in a relationship recently. She said he was the first rich man she'd been in a relationship with. But then after some months, um, she won't mind me saying, but she got bored. Because she's brought up in Totnes, brought up with a father and mother who are completely unimpressed with wealth and all, all of that and she found it a bit boring him talking about how much money he made that month he's an importer of something or other and so she said thank you au revoir goodbye good luck <laughs> oh, oh whatever and it sent him into a bit of a shock and she as my daughter said to me they went to Selfridges I've never been in Selfridges in my life it's one of these big boring shops in London and he wanted to buy something and they're walking past and she just commented oh nice pair of ladies shoes and he immediately said oh I'll buy them for you and she said, no, 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 just point it out, just a nice, nice pair of shoes. And he looked at the price, and it was £920 for a pair of shoes. And she said, I don't need them. They went to a, a restaurant, I don't, I don't move in these circles, so you can tell. They went to a restaurant, and they got the menu, and I asked to order, and she said to him, but there's no price on the, on the menu. Oh, I said, no, of course not. 
Mm. It goes low. Mm. No, no. The bill, bill will come, but there's no price. Don't put the price on it. No, no, no. And then the bill came, you know, you know whatever it was. She's been vegetarian since birth. Da, 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 da. Yeah, she doesn't drink wine. Da, da, da. She's able to see the bill. You said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and um, she said, no, show me, show me. For two, 232 pounds, that's like 260 euros for a meal. And he said, oh, it's, this is not the top class of restaurant. She said, what is? <laughs> <laughs> and what she, she, he said, oh, in the top class, there's no menu. <laughs> <laughs> the chef walks over to you. What would you like to eat tonight, madam? What would you like to eat tonight, sir? This is what we have. This is what we would recommend. Frankly, haven't people got something better to do with their money? Strange world we live in. Strange world. Can't remember what the topic was, but mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> so there is mindfulness. There's the power of mindfulness. The power of mindfulness, it's appreciated and it's recognized either by our conscious action, body, speech and mind doing, or our conscious non-action, not doing something because we know it's not healthy, it's not wise, it's not loving, it's harmful or whatever. We look at the relationship of uh, uh, mindfulness there and we see it doesn't exist by itself. And what that means is, it's a tool, it is a resource, and it's related to every other aspect of human existence. Consciousness, and meditation, and lifestyle, and effort, and actions, and commitments, and love, and empathy, and compassion, and joy, and happiness, and liberation. <coughs> it's not more important than those, and it's not less important. But it's the exploration of the whole field of human experience, of which mindfulness is a valuable resource among the many there. And then two, and finally, in our relationship to uh, mindfulness, <coughs> just to be, take care, just a thought, just take care that one's not confining mindfulness to a part of the body, i.e. the brain, not confining it to the mind, the psychology there, and not confining it to a self. All three have a place. But any exaggeration of those three places will bring about some neglect and lack of recognition of the vast area of exploration because the brain depends upon the body and the body and the brain depend upon the environment the brain doesn't have any self-existence to it and similarly with psychology the psychology depends upon the body depends upon the consciousness and it depends upon the environment all that's around life and similarly with the self. The self doesn't have any self-existence. It depends on the consciousness, it depends on the state of mind, the mind, it depends on the body and all that which is around. And if we remember that, we will keep a, a rather expansive and rather liberated vision open because we're not going to confine life to some small spots and exaggerate them too much. And that includes mindfulness. We make use of these resources, we explore, and we try to remember mindfulness matters as much outwardly as it does inwardly, because there is no, in the truth of things, there is no such thing as inner and outer. It's a convenient form of language. There is no truth in it. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we?
may all beings explore the range and depth of the human experience. May all beings know that which we need to be truly mindful of. May all beings recognize and appreciate our profound interconnectedness. <laughs>